You see, kids, motorsport is a funny old game. You put 24 cars around a circuit, they go round and round lots of times, and in the end, Mercedes wins. Hi, everybody. I'm Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 291 of Motorsport 101. As joined, as ever, by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Roger O'Connell. Hello, sir. The amount of crypto propaganda that's been propagating all of my timelines in the last few weeks is uh, is terrifying. I, I don't know what to think about it. I don't know why people are bidding hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for 10-second NBA clips that they turned into non-fungible tokens. I wasn't even aware that fungible was a word to describe something. <laughs> that, that is new to me. That is definitely new to me. I have seen little bits of this as well. It is terrifying, and it's not like my new favorite F1 team didn't just have a crypto partner announced yesterday. Dang it. Um, uh, would this be the green one? It, it, it might be the green one. I was kind of hoping the merch would roll up today so I could say I'm totally not an Aston Martin shill, although the joke visually might be funnier in two weeks' time. We'll go with that. Um, let's Creative decision to delay the shipment. By a day. Um, we'll, we'll go with that. It, it sounds way funnier in my head. Uh, <laughs> with me as well is Ryan King, who's currently celebrating the fact that his Knicks are actually 500. Like, yeah. what the hell? We, we were uh, above 500 on Sunday when things changed. <laughs> <laughs> you lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's why a, a regression to the mean, although the Knicks currently being, what, a five seed is a terrifying thought for us all in the world of basketball. Um, they all count, as they say, even if half the conference will end up getting in under 500 because the East sucks. Um, fun times for all involved. But, uh, yeah, Cam, how you doing over there? <laughs> Um, fantastic. Now that Kemba Walker is slowly but surely remembering how to play the game of basketball. It helps. Yeah, uh, the Celtics dipped right to 500 and <laughs> thankfully are coming back. Um, never in my wildest nightmares would I figure that this season would be the season where the Celtics and the Knicks cross over in terms of competitive ability. <laughs> and, uh, overall... Makes me want to puke, like yeah. a cat. Yeah. Thank you uh, for uh, tuning into our basketball podcast. I know, right? It's, yeah, basketball, motorsports, uh, existential dread at the fact that Mercedes is once again putting in the hours to whoop some ass. Indeed. Um, it's, it is a terrifying thought, which we will address in the second half of the podcast. Um, because we've got some, obviously, some we've probably seen by now some very sad news coming out of the MotoGP paddock, which we'll get to very shortly. But also catching up on some big news in the sports car world, because a certain big-name manufacturer, one that likes a horse or as its badge, is on the way back. And we'll break some of that down as well, and break down some of the little minor news stories to come from the end of February slash early March. And then we'll get into quite a hectic... Quite a roller coaster Formula E opening weekend in in Riyadh, and uh, there, there's a lot to break down from that. Where two guys flip getting like, what should I say, a car getting flipped upside down and ended up going into a wall wasn't the biggest story 
in terms of a world news standpoint that happened this past weekend. Um, yeah, we'll get into all of that in the next 45 minutes or so. But places you can find us real quick are on youtube.com forward slash sport one If you're watching us on YouTube, hi, you can subscribe down below. Hit the bell for notifications on all our new videos, content, hangouts, and all of that fun stuff. If you're listening to us on audio, you can subscribe over there. If you haven't already, where all good podcasts are available, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter and motorsport underscore 101s. Our personal handles are on the screen right now down below. But if you're listening to us on audio, they're at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C Buckley. 917 um, we're on instagram at motorsport 101 pod you can check us out on there as well um and if you're really really lucky so you can back us financially on patreon uh, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 um and i just want to say a big shout out as well to not only just set for re for repledging and also our new friend colonel nuts it's back to us personally you can follow him on twitter yes he really is a squirrel and yes we now have to stand a squirrel because uh they're very generous with their nuts. <laughs> didn't, that out loud. Didn't, didn't Rick and Morty <sighs> teach you nothing? Don't fuck with squirrels. No, never. Of course not. So uh, thanks to those guys for pledging that. It's, it's the highest amount of Patreon backers we've ever had on the show, which given the current uh, difficult times, to say the least, around the world is uh, quite the miracle. So thank you all very much for that, for your continued support. Much, much appreciated. As I said, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our audio, all our audio shows. 10 bucks gets you in the supporters club um, of our... <laughs> also, in the supporters section, there's now a quote section, and I've just been put in there. So I had to pause for just a second there. Um, whoops, my bad. Um, but but uh, yeah, the supporters club of our Discord server can listen to these shows live as they go out. We've got a bunch of friends and, and all that as well. Uh, we've got Zale in here. We've got uh, God, Zale. We've got Rezzy. We've got Finley, Jason, Sasha, Vic. And we have Lewis Sotheby, our old, our old friend in the show as well. And uh, big congratulations to him. We're going to be seeing him on MotoGP's online coverage, given he put it out there on Twitter. So it's okay for me to say here now. Um, congrats, Lewis. We love you, man. Keep fighting the good fight, buddy. Huge congratulations um, to Lewis. Uh, you deserve it. Yeah, do not shit your bricks. You're going to ace it, my friend. Um, <laughs> we're not jealous at all over here. Not Get in there, son. <laughs> um, <laughs> brilliant work, my man. Brilliant work. Well, can't wait to see you on there. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, uh, after this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about the news. The motor racing world lost Fausto Grassini on February 23rd. He had battled through the novel coronavirus since the end of December, and his condition began to worsen due to a lung infection that ultimately claimed his life. Most know Fausto Grassini as the founder of the Grassini Racing Team, who currently operates Aprilia's MotoGP factory team. But prior to his life as a team executive, Grassini was a champion rider in the 125cc class. In 1984, he claimed his first Grand Prix victory. The next year, he claimed his first world championship. Grassini's peak as a rider came in the 1987 season. In 11 races, Grassini won 10 of them, only falling short of a perfect season in the very last race. After a 12-year riding career that yielded 21 victories, 17 pole positions, and 43 podiums over 132 starts, Grassini would soon begin the next chapter of his motorcycle racing legacy. It took a while for Grassini Racing to find their footing in the sport, but their peak in the MotoGP World Championship would arrive in the mid-2000s. Sete Gibanao rose from journeyman to championship contender aboard Grassini's Telefonica Movie Star Hondas, claiming back-to-back runner-up spots in 2003 and 2004. 
The Dazzling, Marco Melandri, would continue their winning ways in 05 and 06. In that time, Grassini racing with the strongest independent team in the paddock. Grassini never saw his team win a world championship in the Premier category, but won four across all classes of competition. The Giro Cato dominated the 250cc class in 2001. Unlikely underdog winner Tony Elias was the first Moto2 champion in 2010. Jorge Martin became a Moto3 world champion in 2018, the foundation of what could turn out to be an exceptional career. Grassini's team even made history when Matteo Ferrari became the first ever Moto E World Cup winner in 2019. Grassini and his team had to overcome not one but two unthinkable tragedies in the modern era. Kato, the most sensational Japanese rider to emerge of a generation, would perish days after a crash in his home round in Suzuka in 2003. Marco Simoncelli, the brazen and charismatic Italian rider, was on the cusp of a MotoGP breakthrough in his second season, but Simoncelli would also lose his life in a race at Sepang in 2011. Heartbroken and on the verge of leaving the sporting grief, Grassini and his team pressed forward, continuing their racing activities, and in 2015 becoming a factory squad for the very first time. Motorsport 101 would like to extend that condolences to the Grassini family and to everyone who has been impacted by him during his life. Now, I want to give full credit to RJ for writing that. Um, I just made it sound fancy, but um, he summed it up better than I ever could. Um, and a very, very important figure in motorcycle racing, in independent bike racing. And I mean, look, if you celebrate what just how incredibly competitive MotoGP is now, and seeing the fact that, you know, in the last five years, independence of gotten to the point where they can now challenge for titles, challenge for race wins and be competitive. The heartbeat of that came from Grassini because we saw him do that with people like Sergio Gimba now 15 years ago. And that's something that it's hard to fathom when we had a block of it just being orange and blue at the top for years and years and years. And yeah, to have Grassini be that fawn in the side, that guy that could go out and build a, a phenomenal racing team and take many a great rider to victories was very very impressive indeed and like i said one of the real beating hearts of a very tight-knit paddock in gp races it's it's very much they like were, a family uh, <laughs> they, they were the privateer soul of the grid for many mm. a year and um fausto grassini was an integral part of this you know we know how competitive moto gp is um mm. but the paddock is a family uh, all the way through and it's strange not having him here now. It's extremely strange, and it's also a heartbreaking reminder of the, the times we live in right now. I mean, you, you don't think about COVID-19 so much day of the day until it affects someone that you recognize or someone you know. And It's not yeah. just a minor inconvenience. This is no. real. Yeah. And... It, irrespective of age of position in the world um the resources you may have it could take you it could take someone who you care very deeply about and we are by no means out of the woods yet indeed um you know your level of optimism may vary but uh this is still a very real thing it's let's not forget grassini was 60 you know, this this has had a disproportionate effect on the older community. And yeah, it's a heartbreaking reminder of just how difficult it can be um, in the midst of a pandemic. And it's just a, a crippling, crippling blow. Like I said, one of the real 
heart and soul members of the paddock and has been for t- over 30 years of his life and you know the team will soldier on they've got some fantastic talent underneath them still um and i'm sure they'll be racing with very heavy hearts but uh they'll, they'll the name will carry on and i'm sure it will carry on in in great style and at the front of the field where they belong like fausto did leading the charge for many a decade so uh yeah, one as, more time as uh, mentioned in yeah. the uh as mentioned mm-hmm. in a very accomplished rider in his own right um 21 grand prix victories 17 pole positions in relatively few starts 132 yeah. it's not a lot that's that's a damn solid career indeed Rest in power, Fausto, and uh, from all of us here, and to all those affected by his loss, uh, we wish him the we wish him the very best. And I, uh, yeah, awful, I, awful uh, news. I also um, wanted to mention. I know I didn't put it in the set list, but we also lost uh, World Rally Champion Hanu Mikula uh, mm. on the twenty sixth. Uh, he passed away of cancer at the age of seventy eight. Eighteen WRC victories spanning nineteen seventy four to nineteen eighty seven, and of course the nineteen eighty three World Rally Champion driving for Audi in the legendary Quattro A one and A two. It's 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 been a sad week, but we've lost two very important people in the sports. Two um, two legends of their respective eras. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed awful weekend but as motorsport finds a way we race on and uh yes uh now just so you know news wise we are saving the f1 car launches for our season preview in a couple of weeks time so if we if we don't mention your favorite team's new livery there's good reason for that um check back in a couple of weeks time but in the interim we did get a very very big piece of news coming out of ferrari now, there was always talk that they might move some resources over to other series in the wake of F1's cost cap that's now effective, and that's coming into the sport now. And uh, this one, I think, caught a lot of people uh, by surprise. Um, they are the we latest ca- manufacturer to I commit. I don't know about that. It's that yeah. we kept hearing about it and we kept not believing it because, right. well, <laughs> they haven't been here in a factory setting since 1973. Right. So, but Ferrari, hmm. the Scuderia themselves in a factory program are coming back to Le Mans in the top class, entering a Le Mans hypercar for 2023. It's not just an F1 quit threat to try and get more leverage. They're well, actually doing it. Right. Because for them, yeah. this is a better way than letting people go. At the end of the day, they said this themselves. I mean, they were they were flirting with the possibility of maybe an IndyCar supplier for 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 power units, given their new hybrid era coming soon. But this this, this is bit this is this is massive. I mean, it's yet another exciting name to add to the list of hypercar entries. Something that yeah you know, brings it up to uh, we already have had Toyota, Peugeot. Um, Alpine entering a grandfathered LMP1 and potentially building a hypercar for the new regulations. And um, Redacted, who we'll get to in a few minutes, because uh, I, I, I don't know. They, they blocked me on Twitter. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name anymore. They blocked, they blocked <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter. They blocked oh, a yeah. lot of people. They said a lot of mean things. We'll talk to them a little later. But uh, this is exciting. This is exciting. Um, as I said, Ferrari has not entered a factory program in the top class at Le Mans since 1973, uh, where they finished runner-up. 
Um, he'd been gone for a very long time, but we forget Ferrari were once by a country mile the most dominant company at Le Mans. Um, I believe nine overall victories, their last coming in 1965, before uh, obviously Ford's battle with them, Porsche's battle with them, and then Matra, uh, when they left at the end of 73 to focus on their Formula One efforts. And like one of, one of the things that I think I talked about on the show before that I was happy about seeing a cost cap in Formula One is that it would force these big factory outfits to either downsize or use those resources elsewhere. Especially, you know, with motorsport right now where it's hard for people to find seats. Well, drivers to find seats. It, it, it creates opportunities for more people to go racing. Absolutely. Mm. This is going to be a godsend for Ferrari or Ferrari-adjacent drivers who may not have a short, a long lifespan in F1, who may be academy drivers that might find themselves roadblocked on a road to F1, maybe former Ferrari guys who always had that level of talent but could just never break through. I think that would be yeah. very, very good for them. And, of course, now they're already angling to try and get Charles Leclerc to run Le Mans. <laughs> Charles Charles has openly said that he he wants to that he likes the idea yeah. and uh I think for first of all it's just Ferrari entering a factory program in a top level mode that's just cool yeah. Yeah, right? it's, it's, they're a huge name uh obviously oh yeah, they massive. back it up with enormous budget and development talent behind them not that you'd tell from last year's season in F1 mm. but uh <laughs> yeah and it bolsters an already strong grid. Mm. And it gives the opportunity for drivers in F1 to potentially branch out into other forms of motorsport like they did in days gone past. Yeah, yeah look, anything that provides an alternate path on that road is ultimately a good thing as far as I'm concerned. We are, we are a driver-focused sport in terms of personalities and emotional investments. I'm glad more than ever more and more drivers are realizing that there is more to life than Formula One and, you know, they can be viable big names in other series. And, like, I've, I've spoken to many American journalists about how IndyCar feels like an all-star game this year for a series given the mix of talent coming in from NASCAR, from F1, from supercars over over across the pond. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how they're all going to mesh and intertwine and... It, 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 the same extends to sports cars. I mean, it, it, it's hard not to be excited about half a dozen, you know, factory manufacturers coming back to race at Le Mans again in the top flight. And let's be honest, Ferrari is on another level. It, it's Ferrari. They are the yeah. sexy brand. You know, we, we it's like you can talk about Porsche and Toyota and all that, but Ferrari will always raise people's eyebrows more than most. Um, well, and most that's it. Than, now we've got a, we're going to have the three winningest brands in Le Mans history being Porsche, Audi, and Ferrari all competing on the same track together. <sighs> Just Fun think, time. in 2023, We'll all have our COVID vaccines, our Fauci ouchies, if you will. Uh, <laughs> racing circuits, including Circuit of Lasarth, will be at least partially open. Um, uh. And some of us that can afford to travel to Le Mans to see Porsche, Ferrari, and Audi compete against one another for the same overall honors and similar specs of cars, um, they're going to witness something special. I just, I just hope that that, uh, that those times will come. 
Um, of course, one manufacturer that won't be taking part in that is Mazda. We learned this a couple weeks ago that Mazda's not pursuing any prototype activities beyond the end of this season, which is. Uh, it so felt I... like the writing was on the wall when they downsized to one car. Um, I wanted to see Mazda... the LM55 VGT come to hypercar. Dang it. No, no, that car is cursed. That car is cursed. Uh, um, yeah, Mazda have always been just sort of there in IMSA, hamstrung by their partner team for quite a long time with Speed Source, who did not handle the transition from GT to prototype well at all. And even as they comprehensively rebuilt this program, redesigned their car, aligned themselves with Multimatic, and have a wealth of talent behind the wheel, they, other than maybe a couple wins a year, they can never, they've never been able to really break through. And when you learn about what happened this year at Daytona, where they almost had to keep the car turned down for 20 of the 24 hours, they had multiple bodywork failures. It just feels like this program is was always on borrowed time. It's a shame. They have beautiful cars. They have a wealth of really good drivers. Uh, but Mazda's going to keep their focus to more grassroots level racing MS5 Cups, which, for those of you who watched it at Daytona, were just the best pound-for-pound pound entertainment that was there. Junior Formula Racing in the States, I think. Um, it's mostly just going to be like smaller scale events, which is typically what they've been good at. Um, but no prototype programs. It's a shame, but such is the way that sports car racing is. It's also, you know, sports car racing is also filled with people with big ambitions and overinflated egos that maybe just need a reality check. And I'm not trying to segue into anything in particular, am I? Am no. I? No. Oh, man. Um, um. So I want to Can't... start with a disclaimer. Um, the opinions expressed on this show by myself or any of my friends, my co-hosts, are not necessarily those uh, of any publications that I so happen to contribute to. Gotcha. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus needs to log off. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're they talking need to find um, a different social media manager. Yeah, they, they like, need to yeah, find he, a social media manager. <laughs> I was going to say it's not that their social media manager is saying this, it's that Jim is saying this. Um we've heard plenty from the last couple of uh last few months about how LMDHs are just store-bought and branded LMP2s with barely any effort put in by the manufacturers who just drop their engine in, stick a couple branding bits on the car, and go racing. And that is an insult to the purity and sanctity of sports car racing as a whole. Ugh. Well, um, King. Yes. Would you, uh, would you tell our wonderful audience... Who builds Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus's 007 Le Mans hypercar? Because uh, it's not Glickenhaus. Yeah, it's not Glickenhaus. A very small engineering firm in the northwest of of Italy 
called Podium Advanced Technologies, or they like to call themselves Podium Tech, they, they on their website, admit to completely designing and building scootery Cameron Glickenhouse's entry in the Mah Hypercar, and also every <laughs> Glickenhouse race car ever, ever put into competition. Amazing. <laughs> hmm. So, would you say that him claiming that an outsourced racing car is impure is throwing some mighty big stones from a glass house? Yes, it is absurdly hypocritical. It's a boulder in that glass house. It's a big boulder. <sighs> Look, I I spoke about this uh, at length in uh, the Molson's Corner Facebook group. Is a crew of uh, wonderful people who are very passionate about sports car racing, both historic and current. I just want prototype racing to be healthy. Yep. I wanted to have manufacturer entries. I wanted to have privateer entries. I want it to be competitive. I want it to have plenty of races. I want it to be sustainable. And LMDH's formula, alongside Lamar Hypercar formula, are very integral to that. Right. It's a very important few years coming up for sports car racing. Of What do we want it to be? What can it be? Where is the line between going a little bit too far and overextending ourselves? And if manufacturers decide that LMDH, by purchasing one of four uh, manufactured tubs from Multimatic, Ligier, Orica, and Delara, buying a gearbox and buying your Curzon, and then doing the rest of the car, if that's a valid way to put a car, a, a car together, who are we to really complain? Yeah. yeah, and and this like the constant. Go ahead, King. Everything that that Jim Glickenhouse is complaining about is completely within the rules, and it is not good for the sport when someone, when a competitor within the sport is complaining about how someone else is competing, and his complaints have no well-being within the legality of those entries. They're like all his complaints. Have no standing. Well, he speaks of it as the very regulations themselves are are the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they shouldn't be allowed because they make it too easy. To which I counter, did anyone complain when Acura entered LMP2 with their own bodywork, suspension, and engine on a Courage LC75? I no. didn't even know it was a Courage LC75, to be honest. It was. <laughs> Um, in which, fact, which just, shows, just shows how little I care. Look, <laughs> it's not inherently wrong that some D movie filmmaker um, has enough money to amass a car collection uh, and then wants to go uh, build or at least have someone help build him top class prototype cars. It's not inherently wrong that a privateer wants to go race against manufacturers in the new Lamar hypercar not. LMDH hypercar. Yeah. I, I like the the I, biggest issue with Jim's comments is that what he wants effectively is to uh, to cleave the prototype field by two thirds. Yeah, he he does not want he speaks as though LMHs will have such an advantage over LMDH that the only way for an LMDH to compete 
is to hold the hypercars back so badly that they don't get to run at their potential. While he's also preaching about his own car, talking about how the front arrow in his car was inspired by cars from the 60s. And when you look at his car and the design concepts chosen, you realize he's building a car to a target and hoping that BOP will bring him up to Toyota. Toyota designed an LMP1 car with extra steps. Hmm. Glickenhaus designed, or outsourced their design, of a supercar built up into a Le Mans car. It's not, I don't even say it's a supercar. It is, it is, by all means, a movie stunt car built for a racetrack. Yeah, I, I was trying to be nice, but, uh, I mean, the man blocked me on Twitter when I pointed that out, so... Maybe uh, maybe subtleties had its day. <laughs> look, I'm trying. I'm trying to find I, as many positive things about this project because look, they have Yost it, Racing helping to run the team, which honestly, oh, they they have uh, a I fantastic set of drivers. Yeah, their engine, their engine supplier built them an engine more or less out of two Hyundai WRC engines. Just Not a bad engine to pit to take as a base. There's there's the good aspects of it, and there's the fact that you know we want to see privateers take it to manufacturers. But we don't want our privateers being whiny blowhards on Twitter talking about how they're the only ones respecting the sanctity of sports car racing. Guess what? A Jaguar with a roof cut off and a Porsche engine slapped in the back won two Le Mans in a row in the 90s. Yeah. Right. No I, I, one I cares what's underneath. Right. I was going to say, like, why is he being like? I'm not the biggest sports car guy in the world. This obviously this has been an education to me yeah. the last week and half, just seeing all of this in context and seeing it broken down. Like, there's like, am I getting the impression that there's no need for him to be so sanctimonious about this? Because it's no, just like, absolutely not. No, like, it's like, like he wants an additional medal for do, for make for t- picking the harder path, doing it the right way. There's, <laughs> there's no medal for taking the harder path. Just ask right. all of the teams in the 1980s who tried to build a car that wasn't the Porsche 962 in IMSA, showed up and got their ass beat. Hell, look at Nissan's GTLM, GTRLM Nismo factory. Yes, that was a radical departure for the norm. It only ran one race and didn't one run well. And I, would well hope that, and I would hope that SGC can clear this bar. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I want to like this project, but Jim's just got to log off get some therapy or something it seems like it seems like this not, man uh, would do anything not, but go to therapy yeah not not uh enter the comment sections of articles written by friends of the show and write multi-stage essays tearing apart their entire career he's just he just comes off like a thin-skinned jackass and while i was initially excited about his program there is no need for someone to be involved with the sport to be this toxic and spray this much bile over nothing. I'll root for He's the drivers. He's making something out of nothing. I'll root for the drivers. I just, I think Jim acts too much like, well, like a 45th president in the United States, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> mm. Oh, he didn't have to do him like that, but I can't entirely <laughs> disagree. No. Um, in the last little bit of sports car news... Yesterday, it was announced the number 48 Ally Cadillac of Jimmy Johnson, Simon Pagino, and Kamui Kobayashi, a fan favorite from this year's Daytona 24 Hours, will contest this entire 
uh, Michelin North American Endurance Cup. Yep, all the endurance. Nice. Yep. Um, I'm I'm look more Kamui Kobayashi in an IMSA prototype. The world is a better place. Box office. More Jimmy Johnson. Loved it. More <laughs> more Simon P. My boy. It's box office. Although although people are, I guess NASCAR Twitter is like really mad that Jimmy Johnson's going away from the bootcut pants. <laughs> I did see that. I, no, NASCAR, NASCAR was drivers. real mad about this. Like it was, it was Kyle Busch was angry on Maine over this. <laughs> Kyle Busch is always angry on Maine over everything, like this included. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I'll just have everyone know I am Team Cuff Cuff Pants. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> Is that uh, something you wanted to admit to the world on a, on a Discord server while recording a podcast game? Teams stir up socks and baseball. <laughs> oh. oh no! Team only podcast in football shirts. That, 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 that's that's the only hill I will die on here. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got. Uh, RJ, we got some more motorsports to, to, to quickly run through uh, here. Hmm. Yeah, um, we do. We did have some winners in NASCAR. Christopher Bell won the Daytona Road Course race, and As William Byron won at Homestead, Miami. I understand Cam was not happy about the uh, the events of the Daytona Road Course race. Not necessarily Christopher Bell won because that's cool that Christopher Bell won, but Chase Elliott had this race under lock and key, and the NASCAR made up a rule uh, to oh. kind of put him at the back of the field. Yeah, NASCAR, um, this was actually a rain-affected race, and uh, NASCAR does have uh, wipers and rain lights and rain tires uh, If it for road course events. Uh, obviously, you mm. can't make rain tires for an oval because... Please do not at us with why doesn't NASCAR race at an oval because spray is a thing. Oh, my God. Um, and it started raining. It was raining. It was raining enough for teams to think about a tire change initially, but that rain quickly burned off. And then NASCAR decided, for some inexplicable reason, to throw a caution. We learned that there was a rule in place where, in the event of a weather change, NASCAR will throw a caution to give, a teams, uh, give their teams a chance to change onto wet weather tires. Only for none of the teams involved in this race to put on wet weather tires, effectively only making this a competition caution to bunch the field back up. I was Why? watching this live. I'm not, I, I was watching this live, and for those who have been following this show for a while, I am not an NASCAR person. Everyone in here knows that I'm not an NASCAR person. I thought I'd make a special effort to watch this Daytona Road Course race. I saw that, and I immediately started face. Like, slamming my face against my own desk, because I'm like, wait, what do you mean that, like, okay, let's make me explain in this, right? Strategical changes while green flag racing is interesting, because you have that conscious decision on your mind as to whether to change for wet tires or not, and the sacrifices that come with that. That's interesting. Taking the interesting element away by putting a caution flag out, Kills the excitement, no matter which way but, but Dre, you slice but Dre, it. You have to remember, NASCAR, NASCAR actively attempts to kill all strategic ability out of all of these races. It's the reason why, why stage, stages exist yeah, to but... 
more or less kill fuel mileage races. They want the race to be decided wheel to wheel. <laughs> wheel yeah, to wheel. Only, Hardcore only for, bumper only for to strategic the line. decisions and tire changes to cost the driver who was by by and large the best driver on the day, Chase Elliott. A I'm not gonna say surefire win because Christopher Bell was shadowing him. Yeah. But those two were miles ahead of the field. Uh, it just feels like another, uh, either a rule they made up on the fly or an arbitrary rule that only exists to dumb the sport down. Yeah, and look, I, no sport should be dumbed down to that level. Like, the, like it was actually a fascinating moment in that race that could have potentially led to some interesting strategies. Obviously, that's not how it would have played out anyway, but with the fact that you were denied of the chance... I think is just silly beyond beyond all reasons. There's there's much more intrigue in a race than necessarily, you know, just having a big finish at the end. Something we'll probably talk about a bit more in about ten minutes' time than we talk about mm. Formula E, because a lot of that also boiled down to intrigue. But uh, more on that briefly. Yeah. Also, quickly, uh, quickly, yeah. quickly run these out. Uh, Oitanak won the Arctic Rally. Um, Sebastian Auger had two monumental crashes. Santa Claus with... was there. Santa Claus Santa gave Claus. out the trophies. Santa Claus, clearly a uh, big rally racing fan. I love that uh, they, had, they had signature graphics to say Santa Claus was handing out the winner's trophy, and they said, yeah, resident of the land. And I'm just like, yeah. Just, <laughs> just, they just knocked on their door and thought, hey, hey Santa, you want to, you know, I know it's... Uh, quite a long off-season for you. Do you mind handing out some rally trophies? And he was like, yeah, sure, why not? Get, getting big uh, <laughs> Nicky Lauda elderly fan vibes. <laughs> right! <laughs> yeah, and um, in between oh, his dear. crashes, Sebastian Auger casually 13.2 seconds up at one of the stages. So I want to tell him he's an old man retiring at the end of this year. I don't, I don't think he's realized. No. And um, Giz, Shane Van Gisbergen swept the Mount Panorama 500. At Bathurst, the uh, at Bathurst. The, the placeholder event for the Adelaide 500s that we're not going to have for a while, if at all, or the Bathurst 12 Hours that we're not having this year. Two races, Van Gisbergen won them both. Um, it's a whole new era without Scotty McLaughlin around. Yeah, yeah. Other, and, other, um, other, other people are winning. Of course. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna, if you need to replace a track, uh, Bathurst ain't a bad replacement, is it? No, no. Could be worse. I think we should race at Bathurst more often. I don't even care that it makes the events that we already have less special. I just want to see more Bathurst. I, th- I think every <laughs> event at Bathurst is incredibly special. Yo, <laughs> if NASCAR really wants net season to be the no. best season ever, part no, of season, stop, no, do not stop finish that sentence. <laughs> I don't even need to finish that sentence. I've already put the thought in your head, and that's what counts. <laughs> and that's most of the RJ. And now a cartoon anvil falls on RJ. Formula One and MotoGP previews, at least Formula One previews, are coming in two weeks' time. So we'll talk about all the car launches there. That should be a fun time for most of us. Most. 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 Oh, dear. It takes a big swig of what I think is water, but who knows what's actually in the bottle. Could be a lot of things. Anyway, <laughs> for legal reasons, we cannot say this is alcohol. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, um, while we uh, confiscate RJ's bottle, we'll be back to talk about Formula E 
in Saudi Arabia for its season opener. How do you even talk about a strange weekend like this? The Formula E World Championship returned to the floodlit streets of Deria in Saudi Arabia this past weekend, kicking off the 2021 season. It was impossible to overlook the form of sophomore sensation Nick DeVries in race one on Friday. DeVries was sensational, leading every practice session, both phases of qualifying, and then scoring his maiden victory in commanding fashion. It was also impossible to ignore the sensational double overtake by Venturi's Eduardo Martara, threading the needle between Pascal Verline and Mitch Evans 20 minutes into the race. Oh, that was so good. Of course, while Mortara and Evans rounded off the podium behind DeVries, three drivers were left to wonder what could have been for the day. Tom Blomquist, Nico Mueller, and rookie Nick Cassidy, who were all demoted from the Super Pole session at a guaranteed top-sit starting spot to the back of their grid when their times were disallowed for overspeeding in a yellow flag zone with less than a minute to go in the session. And then we get to Saturday, race two. Mortara, the man who made the move of the race on Friday, couldn't even take the start when his Venturi couldn't slow down and crashed in final practice due to a brake failure. He had to go to the hospital, was released that same night, but unfortunately couldn't take the start. And we were also worried that his Venturi teammate Norman Nato and both Mercedes cars couldn't take the start due to potential of the same mechanical failure happening. And then to close out race two, we were all very, very worried about Mahindra driver Alexandra Lynn. Who, when his car launched off the back of Mitch Evans, landed upside down and skidded at unabated speed into the Tech Pro Barriers, where shortly thereafter he was taken to hospital. Lynn, thankfully, was not seriously hurt after the incident that ultimately stopped the race with minutes remaining, while many people were left to worry what happened, as the incident was never caught on television cameras and was only released days after. Sam Bird, in just his second race with Jaguar, wrestled the lead away from his former teammate Impulsa to Robin Friends, extending his streak of seven consecutive winning seasons, while reigning champion Antonio Felix da Costa finished third behind Friends, but not before another collision with his teammate Jean-Eric Fern as the two DS Tachita <laughs> drivers battle for a position. And just to close out this weird weekend of electric racing, just as the fireworks were going off above the circuit of race two on Saturday... A drone carrying improvised explosives that may have been aimed at the circuit was intercepted. And penalties! Lots of penalties for drivers not taking attack mode in a race that was neutralized with 10 minutes left. I believe there was eight post-race penalties after race two. Yeah, um, for various infractions. Various infractions, the way it all jumbled out. Nick DeFreeze, who started from the back of the grid, ended up scoring points in the end because of that many demotions, move arounds, and time penalties. We'll say Pascal Verline had a drive through penalty and started from the back, also scored points. <laughs> this <laughs> was a do. mess. It was um, this whole weekend was a relative mess. I mean, it all started out so smooth. Nick DeFreeze completely dominated Friday. Uh, oh, we thought we were going to get the textbook usual situation mm. from Metaf One of Mercedes just breaking out the belt. But then, yeah, think... uh, then a Mercedes powertrain decided, "What if brakes don't work?" <laughs> yeah, it was the failure of a, a fail safe that I believe if the front mm. brakes fail. It will shift all of the braking force to the rear yep. to try and slow the car down. This failsafe uh, did not work. As it turns out, it was a underlying problem on all four Mercedes powertrain cars. Mercedes uh, corrected it with a software fix, but they obviously, it. Yep. yeah, they patched it. 
Hmm, but uh, they were not allowed to take part in qualifying for race two. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, it was it was kind of freaky to watch in real time because it, it literally happened about three minutes before the whole practice stream, which was on BBC Sport in the UK. Had to They had to run it off the air real quick. So we had, all we saw pretty much was Mortara go straight into the wall um, at quite a, quite a large amount of speed. Yeah, so and that, obviously, we thought and it there was, was a stuck throttle for a short time. Yeah, it, it looked like it. It was, it was just like, yeah, he's he gone straight into the wall. They had to quickly get off the air because they were running out of time on the practice broadcast. And we were asking questions on Twitter as to, is, is, is Mortara okay? Because obviously they didn't have time to give us an update because they had to get off real quick. Um, and again, it was about half an hour later. We found out, yeah, he's on, he's on, he's on the way to hospital via Abbott, but only for precautionary checks. Thankfully, he was okay, dinged up, but nothing serious. Thankfully, um, yeah. but yeah, Cam got it in one uh, soft software issue. Failsafe didn't work. Car in wall. Ouch. Uh, basically, and uh, yeah, as a result of that, all four Mercs cars had to start from the back. Um, which wasn't ideal, especially given Nick was so dominant the first day. I think that was the first time ever in Formula E that if it was a conventional weekend, that a guy has led every single session. I think that's what I, I heard. Yep, that was Jack the first time the, that's ever happened. And um, mm. yeah, DeVries was sensational in race one. Uh, an initial breakaway of him, Pascal Verline for Porsche on debut, and Rene Rast on full-time debut for Audi. Truly mm. the new guard... Uh, if you count Formula E being new for the three German makes, <laughs> the three new boys just driving away. And the from fact everyone. that this is going to be Rene Rass's only Formula E season. Yeah. As you do. Uh, making a count. Um, Sam Bird, 100% winning record across his seasons. He's won a race in all of them. My man was my man like, like Sam Bird is so popular at this point. My man ran down the entire pit lane, high fiving people as he went. One probably not knowing what had happened further on down the track that caused the red flag in the first place, but also just high fiving everybody because everyone likes Sam Bird. Um, also, I had to mention this earlier from race one. I'll be shocked if something beats Mortara for the Scotty Award this year because that was ridiculous. That was ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Beautiful. For me, that that it's between that and Kamui Kobayashi just dunking Scott Dixon through the floor into the uh, bus stop at Daytona. We've we got we've got a good class started. already. Yeah, we've got, we're we're not even into F one or MotoGP or IndyCar seasons, no. and we already have a potential slam dunk Scotty Award nominee. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, I love motorsport. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah and also. Uh, not a whole lot of other big stories from race one. It was a relatively normal race. Can I jump in a story from the weekend in general? Sure. Yes. It's good that Neo Triple Three are competitive again. Oh, oh okay. We, we, need oh, wait, to, we need to. There's a big the caveat. <laughs> we need. We need to discuss this for both of the typical backmarker teams in race two. Dragon and Neo were. Actively fighting for the podium. Wild. And Teams that did not score last year. Yeah, and you need to take into account that five cars couldn't participate in qualifying. Yeah, and like all as we learned Mercedes as well. Cars. Yeah, all four Mercedes. Group one is a death sentence. Yeah, all four Mercedes plus uh, Andre Lotter. Andre Lotterer. 
Yeah, Lauder who crashed in practice. And what we learned this weekend is group one in qualifying is a death sentence at a track like this. If you're in group one, you line up in the back half of the field. Uh, Race two. We need to talk about that final uh, incident. Alex Lynn had an airplane crash. Yeah, Yeah, it was. So, yeah, we need to break down exactly what happened for us to get to this point. Because it was three separate incidents happening in very quick succession. Within yeah, about all the same time. This was just the loudest one and the scariest one because I mean we didn't know what we was didn't going see it on happen. for a for a hot second. We were like worried of like, oh geez, is he all right? And we were right to do so because they went off the air without showing us what the heck had happened. Right. Well, and then we saw a clip appear on Twitter of trackside footage where we saw uh initially there was a crash where Sebastian Buemi got into the wall, looks like on his own. No. On the other part of the track, um, I believe it was Blomquist and one of the BMWs. Gunther. Might have been Gunther crashed going into that corner. This triggered a yellow flag. And then pretty much as soon as the yellow flag was triggered, there was the last incident, the one that everyone is talking about. Yeah, right, where we that trackside footage showed that yellow flag happened, a pause of about three seconds, and then Alex Lynn careening down the track on his lid into a very hard collision rear first with the barrier. If anyone's ever seen Valencia 2010 in Formula 1 and Mark Webber's terrifying flip off the back of, I think it was Heike Kova Linen's yes, Lotus... Yes. In 2010, this was very similar in it, real time. It was time more or less a copy-paste. It. Um, yeah. it appeared that the car ahead of him, I believe it was Mitch Evans, yes. mm-hmm. slowed down for the yellow flag, tried to get out of the way, and as he jinked right, uh, Lynn jinked right as well. It was a went bad weekend for Lynn in general, because remember, in race one, him and Sam Bird got together. And Sam Bird was not too pleased with Alex Lynn about that. Yeah, you're thinking, oh, jeez, how could they possibly get any worse? And here's Alex Lynn having easily the most terrifying accident I've seen in a Formula E race since the very first race in the time Nick Oof. Heidfeld's car turned into a ballistic missile. Oof. Yeah, and um, I mean, I noticed that when they initially showed the replay, or, or not the replay, the, the, the shot of the Blomquist Gunther crash, you can just see out of just out of the shot at the end of the track. You can see the bottom of Lynn's car planted in the barrier, and he mm. hit the, the wall hard enough that it folded the rear crash structure under the car. Yeah, yes. For everybody Massive that says impact. these Formula E cars are just too slow, they don't race on proper circuits. No, they they still haul, and it does take a great amount of skill and care to drive these vehicles. Yeah. These cars get a bit of 170 miles an hour now. They are not slow in any context of motorsport whatsoever. No. The um, only reason but, they appear as slow as they do is because the tracks they're on don't let them hit that kind of speed. Yeah, they're relatively slow now for the cars that we have. And yeah, it was a terrifying incident. We didn't, and yeah, the broadcast was a bit messy regarding this. We didn't get a replay. Again, for the best, given well, we, did, uh, they, we didn't get a replay. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't show a replay. Because they didn't have any footage. Because when yeah. Formula E re- finally released the footage, it wasn't from a TV camera. It was from a CCTV camera. camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was going to say, though, like, um, I read somewhere that, like, as far as, like, the onboards go, like, once you fall out of the top ten, they just shut off your camera. They only have so many cameras to broadcast no. at a time. Yeah. Didn't know that. No, no, it was, it was a terrifying incident. Again, like, I'm giving the series the benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't have probably just carried on as normal if they'd have known them was in serious trouble. Um, thankfully, and this is again a bit of a this is something that probably won't get talked about as much, but it probably should. Mitch Evans immediately stopped his car and raced over the check that Lynn was okay. Um, an incredibly noble um, <clears throat> and uh, human act from Mitch that. Um, straight out of the 80s like what you watch, do you watch yeah. you, like you've, back in those days where one accident could still very well be your last um, and um, yeah he, he actually had a chat with Lynn before going in the ambulance thankfully Lynn was completely fine but uh, again taken to, give, uh, yeah. thankfully it's a crash that looked a whole lot worse than it actually was and yeah. took him to hospital yeah. uh, for observation ended up being 100% fine Mm-hmm. as was everyone involved in the various uh, crashes that yeah. ended the race. Um, and then in our server, server member Crisis <laughs> posted in here that there was a bomb threat in the at least in the area, if not necessarily directed at the track. Yeah. We initially brushed this off only to find out that yeah, kinda. Yeah, I, I we got a little extra zest in the fireworks show. Yeah, I dug into it, and then mm. it quickly became clear that Riata airspace was shut down to civilian traffic, and they were grounding all flights, diverting flights mm-hmm. into Riyadh. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Why is that happening? Next thing you know, there's uh, there's local news outlets saying, yeah, uh, a, a a drone with improvised explosives attached to it was was intercepted as it was attempting to approach the circuit and again we're talking about like in terms of aviation it was close but like it was at least like 10 miles out still yeah 10 12 miles was what the reports were saying um yeah uh (laughs) thankfully uh of course no nobody affected um in in the Grand Prix area and whatnot. In fact, if anything, uh, we, we were getting reports that everybody at Formula E just carried on as normal. Um, you wouldn't have even known, yeah. basically. But um, yeah, just uh, quite an eyebrow-raising news report to read in the half an hour or so after the race had finished. We're already all emotionally tense after Alex Lynn's injury uh, and then thinking, oh, is Lynn okay? And then we just found out that he was okay. And then like 20 minutes later, we're getting the report that, oh, there might have been a bomb threat, as you do. Um, it was it was a tense uh, it was a tense evening to say the least. Thankfully, everybody came out of this weekend in one piece, and we had some we had some big ones. So thankfully, everybody was okay. Talking about race two itself, um, before the red flag came out in the end, um, a lot of spice. We have to talk about T Cheetah. That was uh, yeah. We need, we need to talk say. about this team because we talk about we, we talk about how good. Um, the three German manufacturers looked mm. in race one, um, oh. looking like Mercedes was going to do their usual thing of walking right in and resting their nuts on the table. Mm. <laughs> Diaz to Cheetah, Diaz to Cheetah, uh, is still running last year's car 
And yep. by all accounts, were it not for the clash between their two teammates, could have very easily won this race 1-2. Yeah. It feels yeah. weird to think that, like, you know, here these teammates have a clash, and, like, of, like, the three weirdest things that happened this weekend, it doesn't even get on the... It doesn't even <laughs> factor in for consideration. Although yeah, that, it's just that's... just, like, another one of those... Yeah, like, that's why I said, like, in terms of Neo and Dragon being competitive, like, they, they really are it because... Both Tachitas just blew past them like they weren't even there. Yeah, yeah. When, when it mattered, they blew past them quite easily. Look, they're in Group Four for Race Two. This wasn't the most straightforward part, like track to pass, and there was like one overtaking opportunity on the circuit, really, um, and that was down the, the lengthy back straight. They they did very well to hold on as long as they did, um, and via the demotions and time penalties, ended up with pretty good results. I think Turvey scored points in both races. Oliver Turvey um, has more points in this weekend than he did in the last two seasons. Yep, that's, exactly. That's yeah, awesome. Neo, Neo, I don't this care is the how best, he got there. This is <laughs> yes, the best Neo has ever looked. Like their performance. Uh, their performance on Saturday was awesome. You you can't deny yeah. that. But in terms of the long term prospects of this team, this is yeah, not going to happen every Saturday. No, no. But it's just it's great that it happened at all, even if it was just for one weekend. And look, hey, there was potential for Nico Mueller to double up his points because he got demoted out of race one Super Bowl. Yeah, same with Tom Blomquist. Yeah, yeah, yep. and Sergio uh, Sete so Camera was was plugging was plugging away in there really well in the top five for, for pretty much the entiring entirety of the flag race was on the stuff, uh, was yeah. doing some great stuff wheel to wheel. Uh, he certainly has the uh, he certainly has it behind the wheel. I'm just thinking right now, like this this and the next race is like they're the opportunity to run away while Diaz Tachita gets their new powertrain ready mm-hmm. and. That was not achieved. No. No. And You uh, need as yeah. big a lead as you can get when you're dealing with these guys. Even if we almost had... Like, you know what it is? It's like a pro wrestling storyline where they almost teased the big heel turn and it's not <laughs> quite happened yet. It's like we're, we're maybe one incident away because we were close in race yeah, two. We were, that was about us. We were a couple of inches away from total Ooh. and complete disaster. Yeah, we, we, we got, we, it was a big PR job from Vern and DaCosta after that race. Like, Vern was like, we gotta talk like gentlemen in the back. Oh, no, we gotta no, talk DaCosta about- was like, look, I always put my hands up when I am responsible for an interview. <laughs> no, you don't. It's like, no, the, you the, don't. They, they're getting chirpy now. And then Vern had to be all diplomatic. Vern was like, no, we're gonna go into the back. We're gonna talk this over. We're gonna talk about the leadership of the team going forward, which is already kind of biased given that Vern owns half of it. But- Although, though, um, admittedly, it was it was DaCosta who almost sent both Vern and himself into a tech pro barrier. Right, right he's right. Yeah. Like, 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 you know, it was DaCosta that was the, by far the greater aggressor in all of this. And DaCosta's pretty much always been that guy. Like, you know, he's always been, like, he's always gone the extra mile for those sorts of incidents. We seen it, uh, to, to quote to quote Twitter. So it's I'm actually amazed that Vern hasn't real. Either, either he hasn't clocked and he's totally naive, 
or he has clocked that he's being as diplomatic as possible. But I because we are like this, this, this close to an implosion. I, I, I'm surprised that like more people didn't see this coming. I was surprised when people mentioned us on Twitter saying, "Oh, you guys called it." I'm like, did no one else see this? This was happening? so easy. Dude, it's, it's this was so it's like <laughs> it's like not calling Hamilton versus Rosberg in Spa. It was gonna happen. Hang on, this, 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 is, this is the level of difficulty in this prediction. I'm going to drop my phone and, I'm, and it's going to land on the ground. Oh my god, what a surprise, it landed on the ground. Um, like, like, yeah, like, I, we saw this all, th- I mean, look, Tempelhof Knights, to throw it back to then, um, mm. we saw plenty of evidence then that the relationship between these two is not as friendly as it could be. It's and prosperous, like, as they continue. friendly. It's like well, you know what it is. Same I as think the they like Benz, Same as the Mercedes Benz partnership from 2014 to 2016. They right. started off friendly, and as both of them fight for titles, they are getting increasingly punchy with each other. Did you? But did, are they going to blame any... one or the other for splitting the Formula E group dinner check 18 ways? Yes, oh, of, of course. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm just saying. Did anybody actually believe it at the end of Berlin last season when Vern was like, "Come here, old pal," and then jump up arm in arm? I was like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> I don't believe this for a second. Like, they, they are going to be at each other's necks by the middle of next season. And if if there was a night four of Temple, Saturday I was sick. Next I couldn't season. make it that night. If if I was in that final episode of Temple Off Nights, I would have absolutely said on the record, "These two are going to kill each other by." the end of season four. Uh, oh, sorry, 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 well, if it was the Mercedes part, but like the, the season seven, I should say, um, of this sport. Like, you can't put two big powerhouse, big ego personalities like the Costa and Vern in the yeah, same say, these team. These two have... We saw it from Vern back when he was in Formula One with Toro Rosso. He was many things quiet uh, for a personality was not one of them no he's always been he, he's always been a bit of a shit talker and da costa has always been a bit of a hothead this was always going to happen and again yeah. it's not quite full implosion yet we're nearly no. there no, the no, is current, like an eight. it's a it's a powder keg and the building is on fire and it's in the room it's in the one room that's not on fire Okay. Yeah, it's like that door can't the, hold forever. Though I, I think in there. I think we need to mention kind of the the biggest deciding factor on who scored and didn't score points in race two, the second attack mode. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it mentioned it, it heavily affected uh, one genre Vern who got his podium stripped. Yeah, yeah Vern uh, finished third on the road. Um, there, now I did. I, I went back and did the digging on this because I, w- I was writing a script for a video about it. I rewatched it. There was eleven minutes to go when the full course yellow came out. Now the rules are now a new rule for this season. You cannot activate an attack mode under a, under a full course yellow or a safety car. Yeah. That is obviously for obvious reasons. You're having cars overtake you behind a safety car. That's silly and it shouldn't be happening. No, and no, course, uh, ta- you can't get overtaken behind the safety car. So people, in no, you theory, can take your attack mode with no track. Yeah, position with no track yeah, position right, loss. Right. Sorry, I could, I could, I could fuck a few times there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is, ba- you're basically removing the risk of using an attack mode under green flag conditions. Um, so obviously, the tactical advantage of taking an attack mode under a safety car is obvious. So that rule was scrapped. There's also another minor caveat. I mean, that means you've now got to leave four minutes between 
both attack modes being used on track during a green flag. Um, so again, they've they've changed the rule book to stop people taking advantage of said rule. The full Corsiano came out of 11 minutes to go in the race. Now the race ultimately would end as it was under that safe under that yellow fourth course yellow, then the safety card, then the red flag came out of about four minutes left. Um, we knew it wasn't going to be restarted. They called the result right there in England because of the barrier damage that happened to Lynn's car. Eighteen of the drivers in the race had taken both safe but taken both attack modes before that safety car came out. But yet people were mad as hell that Vern lost that podium online. People yeah. were blowing up on this. Because and I was just mad like that those three that uh Blomquist and Cassidy and Miller got dropped out of Super Bowl when they could have red flagged instead of ending that session under a local yellow. Yeah, because like mm. with the attack mode, like Everyone knew what the the optimum strategy was, where you just evenly distribute it across the race. It's a 45-minute race, you have to do attack mode twice, so you take it at at the 15 and half hour mark. And Vern played with fire, and he lost. Yeah, you leave leave a a certain level of risk leaving your second attack mode, or either of your attack modes, that late into the race, where Mm. if the yellow comes out, you might be SOL. Because... In theory, the same exact thing can happen in Formula One if, sure. say, you you don't use the second tire compound and you're w- literally waiting for the for the last portion of the race, and there's a safety car period or a red flag that ends the race, and you're gonna get yeah. a penalty for that. Yeah, the later um, the later you leave it, the bigger the risk you run of getting caught short. And Vern was basically caught with his pants down. It's just, it's as simple as that. And if, if if the race had ended under red, with maybe twenty twenty five minutes left on the clock, I'd sit here and say, yeah, maybe some common sense mitigation would come into play here because half the race didn't run. You look I, be- in the I believe it of- does fall. I, I think the rule does fall under force majeure, where depending on how late it is left. Um, it's up to the decision of the stewards whether they decide that, okay, you weren't allowed to because of mitigating, mitigating uh, circumstances or right. you were taking a risk. Yeah, yeah. If, like I said, if there, if there was 20 minutes or 25 minutes left in that race and they can't restart it, and like maybe half the field hadn't taken an attack mode, I'd be sitting there saying, yeah, p- let's, let's, let's go for the common sense solution here and let's just call it a wash on, under this one, right? But this was, with 11 minutes to go, there was still a quarter of the race left. And you look in the context of the race, pretty much everybody that was still running in that Grand Prix had taken their second attack mode by then. Yeah. Like, I think the only guys that had was, like, Blomquist, Rast, and I think, obviously, Vern himself. Yeah, and it, and was, it was fairly certain that if Vern had taken the attack mode at any point just before the yellow had come out, he would have lost his position to, to, to Costa. And the funny thing is, as well, is that Vern pretty much admitted it after the race, even though he was on the podium and took his champagne. Yeah, he he see solemnly in the back of his head, he pretty much admitted he was probably going to lose that podium. And he did. No. Um, you know, so he, he knew he was taking a chance. He knew he ran the risk of getting caught short under a, under a late yellow. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah. I say tough shit, basically, on this one. It's, um, it's one of those you, things. You take that risk, you run the possibility of running afoul of the rule, indeed. and hopefully he doesn't fall afoul of it next time, because then he looks doubly stupid. But, you know, indeed. there's a long way before we actually have to worry about when to take attack modes, isn't there? Yeah. 
You'd think. Um, but, uh, yeah, like we, we thought we had to address that at some point as well because uh, that was a big talking point coming off the end of yeah, the weekend. But, uh, I know people that were absolutely pearl-clutching. Yeah, and there yeah. are... Slam dunk, 24-second penalty. And there mm. are other penalties given for uh, what happened near, near the end of the race, like uh, uh, rookie, rookie Nick Cassidy got penalized for speeding, speeding under full-course yellow... Uh, he was running sick. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that, damn it, uh, Cassidy. Spoiled what was on his own merits. Yeah, a fantastic first weekend. Look, we know Nick Cassidy is box office. RJ and I have been telling you that for years. Damn it. Listen, the man's excellent. Um, Pascal Verline shoulder charged someone into the wall, got a penalty <laughs> for it. Ended up getting points regardless. It was Jake Dennis, I think it was. Yeah, he, he, yeah he, Dennis he forced him off at turn. Yeah, he forced uh, forced Verline off at turn one, I believe. So uh, Pascal decided, well, if you're going to be that aggressive, I'm going to be this aggressive. <laughs> you hit him with a burnout paradise T-bone takedown into the wall. I mean, there's no other word for it. I mean, it was... It was like it was. It, we literally joked during the Discord. It was like JBL's clothesline from hell. It was. It was an <laughs> awful shot to the wall. Um, I hate it, Michael. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it, it was awful. But uh, yeah, again, sorry, penalty given for that as well. And again, as we mentioned, I think Verline still ended up with points, didn't he? He so, did, due to all the post race penalties. Of course. DeVries leads the championship 32 points over to 25 over Sam Bird. Robin Thrins third on 22. Edo Martara, despite not starting the uh, second race, still has 18 <laughs> points. He's fourth. And Antonio Villascoss and Mitch Evans are tied at 15 apiece. And we'll have a long time to think about all of this because the Nets Deep Prix in Rome is scheduled for the 10th of April. Five weeks from now. I'm just thinking how every constructor has now scored points except for BMW, as God intended. <laughs> <laughs> with your flat logo that doesn't look good on anything but a car that's all black heated seat subscription he- have an ass what, heated what, what, seats what? is a service um I, i'm gonna go out on the name here and, zoe, that, and i know this for zoe a fact, is straight up not having people, a good time many people on this discord server we record this show in no like there's a lot of hate for bmw in here not that I blame them, <laughs> but look, uh, let's just look, say they're not popular in these parts. It's more look, the I wake up, part. Look, I wake up every morning in a cold sweat seeing the number 25 BMW just burn out, take down the number 79 Porsche off the fucking start at Daytona. Right. It says it all when friend of the show, Zoe Hamilton, just puts in the chat, uh, quote, pain dretty, um, which uh, is, 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 is hilarious to oh, me. Oh, you think this uh, is pain? Just imagine the IndyCar season coming up. <laughs> More on that in April. Uh, but uh, I think that'll just about do it for this week's show. Um, oh, we'll we, didn't, we didn't run down com- the rest of the tabs. <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah, Kaja, carry on, please. Yeah, means. Roland is seventh on fourteen points. Rene Rast eighth on thirteen. Cam- Sergio Sete Camera twelfth, twelve points. He's in ninth, and Pascal Verline with eleven points rounds out the top ten. Yeah, and as I said, the team titles. Eleven of the twelve teams have already scored points. We're two rounds in. Formulary, everybody. <laughs> Never a dull moment. And this was a hectic weekend, to say the least. They'll be back in the middle of April for Rome. Fingers crossed, of course. Um, 
That'll just about do it for this week's episode. We'll be back in two weeks' time to uh, talk for our Formula 1 season preview, because by that by that point, testing would have already happened. Uh, we'll uh, get into oh, the car launches, or delivery talks, all the inevitable bold predictions we'll end up coming out with by accident, and uh, trying to figure out a fancy way of stretching out a way of saying Lewis Hamilton will win his eighth world title over the course of probably an hour and change. Good luck to us on that one, because that's going to be a... Uh, a, a challenge, but if anybody can do it, it's us. The guys that used to have three-hour shows for fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like taking that one on. Um, so, it's all right, I'll be, be... Uh, I'll be enjoying sitting in my corner of the church, yeah. slowly <laughs> writing out my Sabring 12-hour preview. Well, uh, the monolith has already written a piece about uh, Botas 4.0. <laughs> Oh, okay, no. okay. I'm not going to hear any <laughs> of this Bottas. I'm not hearing any of this Bottas NT Workstation 4.0 bullshit. <laughs> Fuck that. I, 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 look, we are, no one is here for this. We are not doing this again. And you know, I don't even blame Valtteri because, you know, the man has to say something to make it look like he's a title challenge this year. Because he's not going to turn around and say, no, I'm just here to win a couple of rounds, make quarterfying a bit spicy, okay, okay. take let's, that solid let's second. the season preview. We'll, I'll save we, the we rest can, for, we, for two weeks' time. We can time, always call like, an audible and preview MotoGP instead. No! We have to get this out of the way now. I can, I can be season... up MotoGP in one sentence. But I'm not gonna. We're waiting for yeah, the preview. Well, well, it'll be fun. It'll be season preview season, Formula One in two weeks' time, MotoGP in three weeks' time, and then IndyCar the week after that. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be a season preview season, we like to call it here on Motorsport 101. A lot of previews, a lot of seasons. It's gonna be fun. Uh and yeah, thanks for King for stopping me from giving away the, the hot sauce uh two weeks early on a Valtteri Bottas preseason rant, which for me isn't even his fault. But we'll get into that in two weeks' time. <laughs> Uh, basically you can find us one more time we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 or on twitter and motorsport underscore 101 handles on the screen down below at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell at ryan eric king at cbuckley 917 on instagram as well motorsport 101 pod you can check us out on there as well and patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to all of our audio shows you can upgrade to ten dollars uh for the the uh, video versions and access to the supporters club of our Discord where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. Big thanks to my co-host as always. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to preview the 2021 Lewis Hamilton beatdown. Until then, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. And until next time, thanks for listening. Sayonara. And remember to have some water. You yes. Have, have water if you want to be the champion. Yes, you do. Bye. <laughs> I'll manage without. I'm getting the absinthe. I'm getting the Everclear. <laughs> Clorox. Mmm, <laughs> my favorite. <laughs>